134, Psalm 134. We're turning to this portion of God's Word tonight, uh, really for a few different reasons. Uh, the first is that um, Pastor Collins is, uh, has already done some work on the next section out of uh, 1 Kings. And so rather than me preaching on a section of scripture that he has already done some work on, we thought it wisest, uh, as he'll be preaching next Lord's Day evening, as well as doing the adult Sunday school and morning worship, uh, that, that he would take that next section out of 1 Kings. And so I was looking for something else uh, to preach on. And there's a couple of different reasons that I've gone uh, to Psalm 134. Uh, in 1 Kings, we have recently been looking at the dedication of the temple, as the temple now is built and becomes the very center of the national life of Israel. And in many senses, the, the temple worship becomes uh, at the very uh, center of, of their life together. So I thought even as temple worship was established in Israel, that here is a psalm which speaks about the importance of worshiping God uh, in his temple. But as well, I think it's a word that is very relevant for us because this short psalm, and next to Psalm 117, it is the shortest psalm in the entire Psalter, is a psalm which is especially about worshiping the Lord in the evening. Uh, It's a call to those who stand by night in the house of the Lord to bless the Lord. I hope that this will be an encouragement to us in our evening worship as we gather to praise Him. So, um, with that kind of, by way of uh, introduction, let me just say as well that this psalm is the last of the 15 psalms of ascent. The psalms of ascent running from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 in our Psalter were psalms that traditionally were sung as pilgrims made their way to Jerusalem for one of the annual feasts. And so they were songs of celebration and joy as they anticipated worshiping God uh, in the temple at uh, Jerusalem. So Psalm 134 is the final of those psalms of ascent and perhaps was even sung by them as they were leaving uh, Jerusalem to go back to their homes. Let's now hear God's word. A song of ascents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Well, this ends this reading in God's Word. Let's now look to the Lord, our God, in prayer. Lord, our God and Heavenly Father, we uh, do indeed give you thanks uh, for this psalm of worship. We pray, O Lord, that our own hearts would be encouraged in the worship of you, the living God. As we study it, cause light to shine from your word. O Lord, stir our affections that they might long and pant for your presence. 
Lord our God, we desire to know you better and to give you the glory that is due your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. The Christian pastor and writer John Stott rightly says that Christians believe that true worship is the highest and noblest activity of which men by the of which in which man by the grace of God is capable that's exactly right that if you are a christian one who is saved by the grace of God the very highest and noblest activity in which you can engage is the worship of the living god And that's what this psalm is all about. It is a psalm that is encouraging us to worship God. The time of the Reformation in the 16th century, the Reformers really uh, returning to some of the roots of worship that were found in the early church, uh, said that at the beginning of our worship service, we should have a call to worship where we are, with some scriptural phrase, encouraging us to worship God and to bless His name. And then at the very end of the service, bookending the service as it were, there should be a benediction in which the Lord is pronouncing His blessing upon the people and that we go having the blessing of God pronounced upon us. Well, there's a very real sense in which this psalm contains those two bookends of Christian worship. In verses 1 to 2, there's a call to worship. A call for you and me to praise God, to expend our energies in giving God the worship that is due His name. And then the psalm ends in verse 3 with the blessing of Almighty God being extended upon His uh, people. So those are the two points of today's sermon as we consider uh, something about the true worship of God. The first, uh, again, is a call to worship in verses 1 and 2, and then secondly, a benediction in verse 3. So first of all, here in verses 1 and 2, there is a call to worship. Uh, perhaps these are the pilgr- uh, these uh, pilgrims, these Uh, people of Israel who have been traveling to Jerusalem, perhaps it is that that at the end of their pilgrimage they see uh, certain Levites and priests in the temple serving the Lord, fulfilling uh, various tasks within the temple, and they cry out to them that amidst their their, their various tasks, oh, bless the Lord, come, Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. It is a call from some believers unto others uh, to bless the Lord. And it's a call that extends to you and me as well, that we are to be those who bless the Lord. It's a call to worship. And I want us to consider this call uh, under four different, uh, with four different questions. And those first of those questions is, what does it mean to worship What does it mean to worship? You'll see that little phrase, bless the Lord, verse 1. Come, bless the Lord. And then again in verse 2, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless 
the Lord. You and I are called to bless God. Well, what does that mean uh, for you and me to bless the Lord? Well, we can get a clue from a couple of different psalms. Uh, psalm 104 is one of those psalms. In Psalm 104, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then how does it, how does the psalmist bless the Lord? Well, he goes on to say, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. We're down to verse 14. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. Verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows uh, it's time for setting. Uh, Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have uh, being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. What does it mean to bless the Lord in Psalm 104? Well, does it not mean to acknowledge the Lord's excellencies? To give thanks to God for His greatness and the mighty acts that He has done. It's to praise Him. That's what it means to bless the Lord. Well, similarly, in Psalm 103, uh, we are shown what it means to bless the Lord. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What does it mean there to bless the Lord, but to call to mind, uh, to remember, and then to acknowledge the many benefits of the Lord? How indeed we can bless the Lord for all that he has accomplished through Jesus Christ for our salvation. So to bless or to worship the Lord means with heart sincerity to acknowledge who God is and to remember what he has done. Uh, That English word worship uh, signifies uh, this same idea. It is a word which originally meant worth-ship or the attributing of worth to another. And so to worship God is to attribute worth to God. It's to acknowledge the worth that is inherently His. It means to give Him the glory that is due His name. That is what it means uh, to worship uh, the Lord. You see... um, When we fail to praise God and to acknowledge His greatness, it affects our relationship with the Lord. You know, in each relationship that we have, we ought to express communication that is fitting for that relationship. So in a husband-wife relationship, for example, while the husband and wife ought to express continually words of love and affection towards each other. Uh, they ought to talk to one another about their, about their days, about their feelings, about their hopes and aspirations. There's communication that takes place within marriage. And the health of the relationship depends in many ways upon that fitting communication. Well, we could say similarly for 
a parent-child relationship, right? A parent-child relationship is going to prosper or thrive uh, when there is fitting communication, right? When the parent uh, tells the child that he or she loves uh, their child and is going to care for uh, their child and is going to protect uh, their child. Well, that makes, again, for a healthy relationship. Well, dear friends, for you and for me to have the kind of relationship that we ought to have with God means that we communicate with God in a way that is fitting. And what's the fitting way? It's to acknowledge His greatness, His glory, His majesty. We are His subjects. We are His creation. And so, dear friends, we ought continually to be acknowledging the greatness of His name. Oh, bless the Lord, O oh, my soul. We are to acknowledge who He is. And to remember what he has done. We are to make much of our God. So that's what it means to worship, to bless the Lord. But now the second question I want to ask is who should worship in this way? Who should worship? Well, these words in Psalm 134 are directed especially to the priests and to the Levites. Uh, These special classes of people that the Lord set apart to do the the particular work of the temple. So when the Lord uh, established the temple, he also gave special tasks to the priests and to the Levites. They were most directly involved in special acts of devotion and service to God. These were the servants of the Lord. Uh, Some of their acts were glorious Uh, For example, the daily offering of sacrifices. And even more so, the entry of the high priests into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. But much more often, especially at night, their duties were much more mundane. Uh, The opening and shutting of the massive gates of the temple. The keeping of all the vessels clean. Taking charge of the supplies keeping of the fire of the lampstands burning, attending to the ovens that baked the the showbread. And so the Levites and the priests were engaged in these various tasks around the temple, but here they were reminded, as you do your work, do it unto the Lord. Bless the Lord, you servants of the Lord. Praise God in these things. That's a helpful reminder to you and to me. Uh, certainly, uh, under the, uh, even under the Old Testament, uh, this command to bless the Lord is not something that was confined to temple workers. Uh, again, Psalm 103, Psalm 104, and many other psalms uh, say that everyone is to bless the Lord. But there's even a more particular way in which we as New Testament believers... Uh, really fulfill this Old Testament office of priest. Each of us under the New Covenant are, are priests offering up holy worship uh, to the Lord. Uh, we are set apart for His service, uh, for His glory. 1 Peter 2.5, You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so, You and I, as priests unto God, 
Oh, how we are to hear this same word. Oh, you, oh, priest, servant of the Lord, bless the Lord. Give praise to him. Live a life of service and of praise to his holy name. So we've seen what it means to worship, who it is to worship. Uh, Now, number three, the question is, well, when should we worship? When should we worship? Well, here we read in verse 1, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Uh, These uh, temple workers had the night shift. Uh, They were laboring in the temple at night. And as they did that, they were called to be praising God, yes, even at night. And it's a reminder to all of us that we are to be those who are continually praising uh, the Lord. Every waking hour ought to be a waking hour of, of praise. And I think this especially, though, gives us some uh, indication of... Oh, or, or let me put it this way, that uh, even as the, they were to be offering praise to God, those who worked in the morning and those at night, praise unto the Lord, uh, I think it's very fitting as well that we as Christians, on the first day of the week, which is the day especially set apart for the public worship of God, would worship Him both morning and evening that we bookend this day of worship with the praise of Almighty God. That we say, uh, this whole day is for Him. Uh, We're going to begin the day giving Him praise. We're going to end this first day of the week giving God uh, praise. And this is why at the time of the Reformation that uh, churches... Established, even then, morning and evening worship as the normal pattern of worship in the life of churches. We ought to seek to continue that pattern uh, even today. And I commend you for being here on a Lord's Day evening and desiring to close the Lord's Day uh, with the praise of Almighty God. Come bless the Lord, you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. We ought to desire that our praises to the Lord would be continual. And that when we do corporately gather, that we would corporately gather continually with the Lord's people. Do you see the importance of regular worship? Worship is not one of those sporadic activities in the Christian life that we take up for a little while and then we leave behind and and then we go and do it a little bit more again and then, oh, we get busy and we're just going to leave it behind for a few more weeks or a few more months or something like that. No, worship is that which ought continually to flow from the heart of the Christian. And that's why we gather on a weekly basis, one week after another, week after another, after another. And we don't miss at all, right? Even if you go on vacation, you're making sure you're with the Lord's people on His day. Okay? And if you have to stay home sick because you're sick, well, we have a live stream now. Tune in that way as as well, but, but that habit of 
regular daily or regular uh, week by week worship, corporate worship ought to be the pattern of God's people, just as daily devotions ought to be our, our pattern in our own individual lives as well. Are you one who is continually worshiping uh, the Lord? So that's when we worship. But now the fourth question that we can ask is how should we worship? How should we worship? And we're given a description in verse 2. There it says, Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Paul seems to pick up on this in 1 Timothy 2.8 when he says that I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. Now, What's that saying? What's that saying? To lift up your hands to the holy place and to bless the Lord. I don't think it's simply talking about posture. I do think to worship or to pray to the Lord with uplifted hands is an appropriate posture, but the Bible speaks actually of many different postures of worship and of praise. And so we can't say that there's only one bodily posture uh, that is appropriate. We find examples of standing and of, of, of kneeling, okay? Uh, and, and here, the lifting up of hands, for example, okay? There are a variety of postures, but I think uh, what each of these postures at times that are mentioned in Scripture indicate primarily is the attitude of the heart. And that's what John Calvin gets at when he speaks of Paul's words in 1 Timothy, and he says there that Paul uses, quote, uses the outward sign for the inward reality. For our hands indicate a pure heart. And so the idea simply is this, that in worshiping God, our hearts should be extended toward Him. Uh, That there ought to be Uh, Not kind of simply a ritual to our praise, uh, but rather a kind of holy ardor to our praise, an energy in which we are awakened unto God and we long with our deepest affections that He would get the praise, that our whole lives, as it were, would be dedicated to making much of the Lord. That's the idea here. Give yourself, he is saying, uh, to the worship of the Lord. Look to him in your uh, praise. Don't just go through the motions. I think we can make application of this, even in our public corporate worship on the Lord's uh, day. Uh, That when we gather as God's people to worship uh, the Lord... We are called to have a heart that beats with holy ardor in making much of of God. Do you have a heart that's engaged in in worship? And so worship is not simply a kind of spectator show. It's not a bit of theater that we're watching for our entertainment. But rather in worship, we are the participants We're giving the Lord our heart. We are the ones desiring to make much of His name. And so when the pastor prays, we're all entering into that prayer in our hearts, saying, Amen. 
or even audibly, amen. It's perfectly appropriate. As we hear his word preached, we're receiving this from the Lord, seeking to apply his word to our lives and to follow him more wholeheartedly. When we sing, we do it with a kind of vigor and delight. John Wesley, uh, that uh, 18th century evangelist, we don't agree with everything in John Wesley's uh, theology, but nonetheless, he very helpfully uh, gave some rules to the members of his Methodist societies and how they ought to sing. Uh, seven different rules, I think. Um, but let me just mention a few of them. I think it's, it's so helpful because it gets at this idea of a heart sincerity in worship. He says to them, rule number three, sing all. That is, see that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to take, if it is a cross to you, then take it up and you will find it a blessing. Or rule number four, sing lustily and with a good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of its being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. Or rule number seven, above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing Him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such as the Lord will approve here and reward you when he cometh in the clouds of heaven. Good rules indeed. And might we be those who worship the Lord in this wholehearted way. So it's a call to worship. Give to the Lord the glory that is due His name. Do it because you are a servant of the Lord, redeemed to praise Him as priests unto God. Do it often and continually, giving Him uh, the worship that is due His name. And do it not merely as ritual, but with a kind of hard affection, as it were, lifting up your hands to the holy place as you Praise Him. It's a call to you and to me to worship God. Is this going to be, remember those words of Stott, the most important thing in the life of the Christian is the worship of God. Do you give yourself to this kind of worship? Is this a call to worship for you? That you would say, until that moment, Lord, when I enter in uh, to those delights of worship around the throne in heaven, might I give myself here to the worship of the living God. Young people, are you going to say that? For as long as you give me breath, Lord, I'm going to be found praising your name. I commit myself to it. I'm not going to allow myself to drift from it, pretending that other things are more important than praising you. Lord, you are the most important in my life. I want to bless the Lord. Oh, you servant of the Lord. Be praising Him. It's a call to worship. And now secondly, more briefly, I want us to consider tonight this benediction. This uh, benediction. Well, verse 3, 
then turns with words that are now spoken, uh, as it were, it's the desire of the psalmist that uh, now uh, for these servants of the Lord. He says, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. So in verses 1 and 2, he's calling uh, us to bless God. Here in verse 3, he's saying, oh, may God bless you. Well, what does that mean? If, If we bless God, What does it mean for God to bless us? Well, we have to understand that those exchanges are are quite unequal. Okay, When man blesses God, what we're doing is simply acknowledging gratefully who God is. But when God blesses us, God, as it were, makes us what we aren't. He confers something to us that we already don't have. In other words... He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us His favor when He blesses us. So it's the highest privilege that you and I could possibly receive because we are unworthy. We are sinners. And oh, to hear from the voice of the Lord words of grace and mercy and blessing. It's better than anything else in the world. And this blessing here is, uh, we're told, is from the one who made uh, heaven and earth. That is, the one who, by a word in the space of six days, created this vast universe, who created galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxy, is the one now who, who blesses us. The only God, the true God, The one who reigns in high estate, he is the one who now condescends to pour out blessing upon you and upon me. And where does this blessing come from? Well, we're told, may the Lord bless you uh, from Zion. Now, Zion here, again, is a reference to that hill where the temple stood. It's the place of God's dwelling amidst his people. So this is the Lord who dwells amidst His people. Might He bless you? Well, earthly Zion, of course, was a type or a shadow of that Zion which is above. uh, Where uh, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. The one who has come into the midst of His people. And so ultimately, even as we say, oh, might the Lord bless us from Zion. It's speaking there of the blessings that the Lord has in store for us through the Lord uh, Jesus Christ as He dwells in the midst of God's people. And the Scriptures make it clear in Ephesians 1 and verse 3 that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that everything that your soul needs has been secured for you through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That He has come and He has lived for you. And He has died for you. And He has risen again for you. That in Him you experience the forgiveness of your sins. 
You've forgiveness, the adoption as sons. You've experienced the assurance of His love. You've experienced uh, the indwelling of His Spirit, which is remaking you after His image. You experience the assurance of an inheritance uh, that is uh, imperishable and undefiled and which will not fade away. That in Jesus Christ you have a kingdom. In Jesus Christ you are part of this new humanity. In Jesus Christ you have every, every spiritual blessing. And so when the Lord comes and blesses you, it is with the richest and most profound of spiritual blessings. We sometimes use that language in a very offhanded way. Somebody sneezes, God bless you, we say. Right? That's commonly thrown around. I'm not even sure where the origin of that necessarily is. But, but the point I'm trying to make is that we need to understand just how rich and how profound those words are. And they only come to those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you are in Jesus then you have experienced from the Lord the richest of blessings. And that affects the way that we worship the Lord. When we gather on the Lord's day and we hear His Word proclaimed, as we hear the sermon preached, realize that you are receiving a good word from your God. This is the Lord's blessing. He's telling you about Himself and what He's done for you. And can we receive this with joy and live out of this blessing as it were? And at the very end of the service, when we actually hear the benediction, whether it's in the words of 2 Corinthians 13, 14, that I, uh, that I uh, usually quote, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Or if it's in the words of uh, number 6, 24 through 26, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious Unto you, The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Or in the words of Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Friends, any of these scriptural phrases are what? The pronouncement of the blessing of God upon us. Oh, to live each day through all of its ups and downs, through all of its trials and temptations, through all of its difficulties, to live your days under the blessing and benediction of God is the best life that there is to know that God has smiled upon me and God has richly blessed me. And might we live out of that blessing. Friends, I hope Psalm 134 can be for us an encouragement in the worship of God. There's nothing more important in your entire life than that you give God praise, privately, corporately. Praise Him. Call to worship, praise Him continually and receive in the very depths of your soul the blessing and benediction which He brings upon you. Do you do those things? Let the Lord help us to do just that. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we thank You for uh, Psalm 134. For the blessing that this is for all who would 
worship you. We thank you for those pilgrims who first sang this psalm as they perhaps even departed the city of Jerusalem and saw those servants working 